0: In just a second.
1: I think we're on the air.
0: Oh, we're on the air. Don't tell anyone. Don't tell anybody we're on the air. air. Oh, shit. Are we on the air? Oh, fuck. We're on the air. Oh, hello. I didn't even see you there. (laughs) What's up, everybody? I'm Kayla Marie Coates. Yeah, I'm Captain Ron, And this is According to Captain Ron's Record, where we talk about the unfiltered, unedited, pure and real take from the perspective of Mr. Captain Ron himself. He shaved his head off, I mean, not his head off, his hair off last week, and uh, now he's no longer Guy Fieri. So, you know, welcome back to the land of the living. I mean, not that Guy Fieri's dead. And that you know. was a mouthful. It really was. I talk a lot when, um, when, when I'm around my grandpa because he talks a lot, but, you know, that's where I get it from.
1: You get a word edgewise.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Anywho, this week I asked Captain Ron to pick out a record that reminded him of his heritage and uh, culture and that kind of stuff. So, Captain Ron, what record did you pick out?
1: Well, I picked out some of the least favorite stuff that my fans like to listen to because they had a similar problem to what I had growing up. This is Bonito Veracruz.
0: Mm. It's a
1: sample of music that I love from Mexico. The significance of it is, if you'll notice, there's a harp on here and and the different styles of guitar. This style of music is played in the tropics, uh, in the Veracruz Peninsula. And this is the kind of music that I wound up loving when I was a kid, even though I didn't know what it was. And there are many styles of Hispanic music. Uh, This is just one. Most people uh, are familiar with mariachis. Mm -hmm. They have horns, they have violins. And I think they're more traditionally from the European influence in Mexico. Um, and so my family loves mariachis. You can put that back yeah. there. And I listened to a lot of that when I was a kid because they play that kind of music. But I like this kind of music. Mm. Uh, in addition to the mariachis and the music of the tropics like this, um, there's also uh, border music, uh, Tejano music, the music from the, the Texas borders and the North Uh, borders of Mexico. And that's a totally different type of music. Uh, It's more like dance music, polkas, and uh, fun. And so uh, this is, though, the kind of music that was reminded of me, when Kayla asked me, something that reminded me of my heritage. Uh, This type of music. So, since she asked me about this, I thought another thing I could talk about today, about my history and who I am, is my Spanish culture and what Spanish culture I actually have versus what Spanish culture I don't have. And that, I think, requires explanation because... uh, Let's start when I was a little child and going to grammar school. When I started going to grammar school, all of the kids spoke English. And I never noticed it before, but also I spoke English. I never spoke Spanish when I went to grammar school. It didn't occur to me till later why. My mother always spoke to me in English. She very rarely ever spoke to me in Spanish, unless she was angry and yelled out the back window, Ronaldo! So otherwise I was Ronnie, And my mother spoke to me in very actually good English. Now, looking back on my life, I wonder well, why didn't I get pick up on the Spanish culture and the Spanish language? Uh, some of my older siblings did, but I never really learned Spanish. One of the reasons was my father...
0: Oh. I guess there's something. I'm getting a call from my technical director. What's going on? Oh, uh, there's just some uh, sound issues. Just the ruffling of the shirt. Oh, did you put the microphone on the inside? I believe so. Oh, you did. Oh my God. Look Wow. At that. It was having a little staticky. I didn't know. I didn't want to interrupt. Oh no, your... that's okay. Yeah. Thank you, technical director.
1: His backwards.
0: Okay, yeah. I will try to make that sound. Oh, if you guys see a cat pop in. Don't be don't be afraid. There's an actual cat there. Um, my brother, Mickey, brought his cat over to um, my grandparents' place while he's in Ireland uh, for a wedding, so...
1: He's off-screen right now. You can't see him, but I'm scratching his head right. Her head. Yeah. That's ditto the cat.
0: Ditto. Okay, okay, okay. back to it. <laughs> Bringing her closer so y'all can see if if you I can. Think a ditto yeah. 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 Can, a ditto can you there. see? Can you see ditto?
1: Okay, Ditto's in the picture. Okay. <laughs>
0: back to so, it. Back NASA's to. it. Uh... She likes
1: me. Back to your incredible okay. story. <laughs> <clears throat> Let's go back to my youth because it was very exciting back then. Uh, <clears throat> this is something that stuck with uh, stuck with me my whole life because I felt a little bit of guilty that as I was growing up into a teenager years and adulthood, I didn't speak Spanish. Mm-hmm. And my Spanish is my heritage uh, because my family, part of it, comes from Mexico, from around Guadalajara. And that's my father's side of the family. So, my family history left me in a situation where I could appreciate the culture, but as a child, I listened to mostly Western music and uh, rhythm and blues and rock and roll, because in my home, my mother was the primary influence. And as I said, she spoke English. This was good for me growing up in East Los Angeles. I went to a school where all the other kids spoke English, and I fit in. And that was a part of the goodness that my mother gave me by making me fit in in a white culture. Now, this is important because back in the uh, late 40s and early 50s, (laughs) There was a lot of animosity between uh, whites and the Hispanic community. There were uh, riots. I don't know if you've ever heard of the Zoot Suit Riots. Yeah. But there was a lot of uh, people who would call someone like me a wet mm-hmm. or a spick. Those kinds of things. So there was some prejudice back in those days. I was grateful when I became a teenager when I realized that I spoke English very well. I didn't have a Spanish accent. Mm -hmm. And because of that, I could fit in wherever I went without having to deal with a racial issue. So, my mother's side of the family, my aunts, they spoke English, they spoke English clearly, and they even sang songs in English. And also though, they had a little bit of Spanish influence, they also sang songs in Spanish but mostly in English. Like I used to say in our earlier meetings, my aunts would sing songs by the uh, Andrew sisters Mm. from those swinging years. So I would hear that kind of harmony from my mother's sisters. And it's always nice when you have uh, siblings uh, singing together because they do really nice harmonies. (laughs) And I grew up with that. So my aunts on my mother's side, they spoke English. Now, my father's side they all spoke spanish Mm. okay so when i went to see my aunts on my father's side our conversations were
0: "Mm." because you didn't how much spanish did you speak i didn't like did you even speak conversational
1: no i never had conversational spanish i didn't study spanish until well, I must have been in my 30s, 40s when I started looking at books and decided mm-hmm. to learn a little bit about Spanish. I never really had a need to, but this is why I always felt like I was missing something. I was a Hispanic and I was always running into other Hispanics <laughs> that were surprised because I didn't speak Spanish. Yeah. So uh, there was always that issue with me, wishing I had learned Spanish because I felt I missed out. I wasn't bilingual. So this has always been a problem with me. and. Uh, I I was aware of it. It wasn't a bad thing, though. I took it mostly as a good thing because I didn't have to suffer the slings and arrows of uh, racial backlash that was prevalent back when I grew up. Uh, So I could fit in most places. Uh, And that was goodness for me.
0: Now, your mom, you didn't really say where her side of the family originated from.
1: Ah, my mom was born in Pasadena. And my uh, mother's family had been living in the... uh, California, especially on my grandmother's side, for hundreds of years. Mm. So they had, a long, in fact, uh, going back in our family tree, which I was doing recently, a lot of the landowners and early uh, uh, settlers of Yorba Linda mm-hmm. were a part of my family, the Reyes. Oh, wow. Yes. So uh, after doing that research, I had a, a, an uncle who was helping me out with that, and I found out that uh, some of our uh relatives on my grandmother's side which was also my mother's side mm-hmm. um, <clears throat> were actually uh very influential yorba linda residents a few hundred years ago
0: oh wow that's yeah. really interesting what what um so she was born in pasadena but where was she white was she hispanic
1: oh no they're hispanic oh okay
0: they're hispanic. but what... They're just
1: they're just uh, uh hispanics from mexico who might be here okay in the days when there were land grants in california and they had a large ranches here in mm-hmm. your Belinda, and so that's what i meant they're hispanic okay. Okay. in in their history but they migrated into california many many years ago so they're mm-hmm. not just recent immigrants right. they've been here a long time
0: okay On yeah that makes more sense side. i thought that you were full hispanic or I full am. mexican yeah i am
1: both sides of my family are hispanic yeah and uh well Hispanic or residents, at least, of this continent for thousands right. of years. Because mm-hmm. my mother is descendant of those who originally crossed the land bridge from Asia mm-hmm. okay, over through Alaska and down into uh, the, uh, what we call the United States now, or America. And so uh, my mother's uh, DNA traces back to the Anastasi Indians who have mm-hmm. been here for thousands of years. So in that sense, the women in my mother's line uh, have, uh, are...
0: A lot uh, of indigenous ties?
1: Yes. Uh, She is a descendant of the indigenous people of California and America.
0: Very cool. See, I love, I feel like not a lot of people specifically in my immediate family know those things. They might have heard it or stuff like that, but they don't know of the specifics. And what was, what was the um, tribe? name again?
1: Anastasi. Anastasi. Those were the uh, race cool. of Indians that lived here thousands of years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, my mother doesn't claim to be a member of a tribe. Mm-hmm. Uh, like I said, oh, our gotcha. family's been um, integrated into uh, California life here for,
0: right.
1: yeah, for quite a while. So they don't associate as a tribe. Right. That, uh, as, and this points out exactly what I was saying earlier. That by my mother speaking English to me mm-hmm. and teaching me proper English, I was able to fit in and not be a member of a tribe or something else, I was just a kid down the block. And I hung out with other kids down the block. And California, if any of you know that, has been a melting block. Mm -hmm. I was raised in a Jewish neighborhood actually, Boyle Heights, which at the time was primarily Jewish and it was just transitioning from Jewish to more uh, Hispanic people living in those communities. Uh, The Jewish community eventually migrated over toward the Fairfax area in Los Angeles, and what was left was uh, mostly the Hispanic populations. Uh, Even today, it's mostly Hispanic, I believe. I haven't been back there in a long time, but I believe that East Los Angeles, Boyle Heights is still a Hispanic uh, area.
0: I feel like it is. I mean, Julian, you live over Mm -hmm. in East Los Angeles too, right? Yeah. I have an
1: amusing story to tell about my grammar Ah. school. I didn't know this uh, the, about Jewish people and Hispanics or Catholics, really, what it was, because I was just, you know, in the first grade or whatever. And so I went to school one day, and uh, the class was half empty; There was nobody around. You know? mm. I was there, and there were some other kids there, and we, we kind of had, you know, everybody was we thought everybody was sick, and then uh, the teacher informed us, no, it was a Jewish holiday.
0: Mm. <laughs> So
1: I looked around and I didn't know what a Jewish holiday was, right? I just a little tight. Anyway, so that was the first time I found out that I actually lived in a neighborhood that had a lot of Jewish people in it because we were only a few kids left in class. And then I realized that the church just down the block was actually a synagogue. So, and my mother, when she talked about neighbors and knowing people, many of the people who were friends were Jewish people. Uh the, the fellow that owns the store, the local store was Mr. Karan. And uh mm-hmm. the the people that lived across the street was uh, Sidney Lazarowitz, uh, <laughs> who was a friend of mine that I grew up with. So it was a it was a Jewish neighborhood, but I didn't know that because I was too young.
0: Right. And to so, understand so and so piece it, it together. It was good
1: for me because actually I was racially blind. Interesting. I didn't I didn't get uh any kind of upbringing and said, there's one group of people here, and then these people are different. Right. You know, which is it turns out to be what uh, um, I guess is bias. <laughs> <laughs> guess so. Xenophobia. Uh, you know, yeah. people who are different from you aren't quite right. Uh, so I grew up uh, with my mother being uh, open about races, and uh, I never got taught. In my home that there was a difference of one race to another or someone was better than someone else because of race right that was never a topic in my home mm-hmm. so i didn't grow up with that i didn't realize till later when i went in the military and my friends were uh, all different colors that there was race because one of the first places i had was sent to in the military was biloxi mississippi and for all you people who live down in Mississippi, <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. Uh, I, when I found out that the restrooms were separate, blacks wow. went here, whites went there. Uh, you couldn't sit on a bus with people, uh, white people and black people. You couldn't sit together with them in a restaurant. So I grew up with friends being of all color. Yeah. And when I went into the military and was shipped down to the south before civil rights hmm okay this was uh before all of that it was in the 60s early 60s oh uh, yeah yes and just it was at the time when everything was uh really getting brought up to the surface
0: it was just starting to like yes. be talked about more and more
1: yes because several things happened martin luther king mm-hmm. uh segregation yep. uh alabama on the south black kids going to school with white kids so, you know desegregation people being bused to schools All of that stuff started happening. Mm -hmm. Uh, When race once again reared its ugly head. And it has been ever since the Civil War. It does it periodically. It's like expansion, contraction. It's like a ripple in the water. Uh, Every few 10, 15, 20 years, we go through this backlash. Two steps forward, one step back. It's been that way ever since the Civil War. Really? Yes. Uh, We're better off now because now, Uh, For instance, we don't hear about lynchings in the South all the time.
0: Not all the time. Back in the 40s,
1: you heard about lynchings all the time. Black people were lynched.
0: I mean, it still happens sometimes, unfortunately. Back in
1: the 40s, black people and white people couldn't serve in the same army. They had separate divisions for black and white people, so they wouldn't have to fight together. Our professional sports (laughs) did not allow black athletes to play with white athletes this was in the 40s so i grew up right coming out of that where the races were suffering from uh what do you call it racism yeah (laughs) Uh, and again this was uh, this happened periodically in the early 1900s the kkk marched in new york city against blacks and it was accepted so every every so many years racism rears its ugly head and then people get tired of it, and they push back. And this is like the two steps forward. The last yeah. two big steps we had were the civil rights movements, when the government finally said, no, you can't do that. It's not right. It's not fair. It's not justice. And so uh, every few years, yeah, 20 to 50 years, something erupts. Yeah. Right now we're going through what? Black Lives Matter? Yep. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. and this whole business about uh, justice for the races. So mm-hmm. it's just a repeat of things that have been going on over the last century. It just uh, doesn't happen all the time. It, it goes in cycles.
0: goes in waves, goes in cycles. That yeah. definitely makes I mean, sense. And we gain a little
1: bit each time.
0: Yeah. It, I mean, I feel like that really... Goes to saying how much history repeats itself.
1: <laughs> yeah, and it's not just it's not just black and white. No, no, we have other races yeah. and issues too. Oh, also, yeah. Also, sex, mm-hmm. uh, the sexes, yep. uh, gender yep. uh, issues about that. Uh, we, mm-hmm. yep. we did not talk about sex uh, and gay people when in the fifties because they were still vilified even by police. So back then people didn't come out. Now you hear every day, oh, this guy came out, that girl came out, they came out and admitted that they were, because the reason they didn't before was because they were ostracized by a society that insisted that there was something wrong with these people.
0: Oh yeah, and especially with like conversion therapy and all that other stuff that people would like send them off to or like threaten them with, like why would you want to come out, you know? So I think that especially with the, uh, the newer generations, how accepting, for the most part that they are, um, because there are still quote unquote, "bad apples in these generations, yeah. not everybody can be fully accepting. and it, is, it does have a lot to do with how you're raised. Um, yeah. You know
1: Like I was raised next to a Japanese family just after they were out of intern or not internship. They were uh, interred in prison camps. Oh, internment
0: Internment camps.
1: Internment camps Mm -hmm. because of World War II. In my lifetime, I've seen prejudice against uh, Irish, against Jews, against Muslims, against blacks, against Hispanics. So it's not unique. It's human nature for one group of people to view another group as less than or different than them. And all of these fears come up in people, and they fear what they don't know. I was always taught it's hard to hate someone who you know. Mm -hmm. So if you get to know someone you judge them by who they are not by their skin and Mm -hmm. other issues Mm -hmm. You want to judge a person by what you know about them Yeah, not what color they are and this is a hard lesson to learn for humans Uh, Anywhere you go in the world you can just about find two groups either racial or religious groups that are opposed to each other on the basis of religion or color or some other such crazy uh, judgment that people make. And they fight. Even Christians fight Christians. As oh god
0: yeah there, as, well, there are so many different the Irish. No, types of christians so to yeah. speak like catholicism yeah. is a part of christianity isn't lutheran also part of christianity yeah. if i'm not fully mistaken don't quote me on that um yeah yeah, yeah there's there's a lot of different types and especially when people are so rooted in what in their beliefs yeah. and they can't Allow themselves to hear out the other groups and just be kind of respectful to what they have to say and just hear them out. You don't have to agree, but just like hear them out and that kind of stuff. It can turn very ugly. It's intolerance. Yes. Intolerance. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Uh, You believe what you believe, so you're okay. But the guy Mm -hmm. who doesn't believe the same, eh, he's not okay.
0: Yeah. So that happens
1: a lot. It doesn't just happen to to Catholics or to Protestants or to Jews. It happens to everybody because we all have one thing in common. We're human, yeah, and so, yeah. So it shows up as race. It shows up as religion. It doesn't matter. It's because we're human.
0: It's like if you just, if once you take all of the body parts away, you just end up with bones. It's like we're all the same. Who cares? Mm -hmm. Who cares about anybody? How anybody lives their life? It's but now I can get back people. to my heritage
1: because I'm Hispanic.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> so, well, you said that your mom never really spoke Spanish to you, but you didn't say anything really about your dad. At least that I oh could oh recall. yeah, my
1: father didn't speak
0: English. Oh, at all? Yeah.
1: No. Very, oh wow. Very few words. He was. Uh, he was not. He was not fluent in English. Uh, mm-hmm. He could maybe get a point across, uh, but he didn't speak con- conversational. English. Uh, it was either that or my dad just didn't like to speak. <laughs> it was one of the two. But anyway, I make light of it now because uh, uh, my I had no relationship with my father. My mm. father was an alcoholic, and I don't remember him ever being really kind to me or or taking me places or doing things with me. He was almost an absentee father, even mm. though he lived in the same house with us. Wow. Uh, so. I always look at the fact that I don't speak Spanish and my father doesn't really speak English to me. Uh, Why did I never learn Spanish? And it dawned on me, he never spoke to me. Damn. He never had conversations. He never bothered to spend enough time with me to communicate. Did he
0: spend time with your siblings?
1: uh, They have to speak for themselves. But um, the boys, I would say, the boys in our family, my brother, oldest brother Albert, Mm -hmm. Uh, Another brother, Mickey, who was older than me, and myself, were the three boys. Oh, you
0: had a brother, Mickey? My brother. Mickey. Mickey. I've met Mickey. Mike.
1: Mike, he died of a heart attack uh, about 10, 20 years ago. Oh,
0: maybe I didn't mean that. Yeah. And Albert. And Albert Albert was the oldest.
1: Now, the three boys were able to have a relationship of sorts with my father. Boys and their dads. We would talk to him. I learned to... Uh, not I never hated my father for what he was mm-hmm. because he wasn 't a very good father, but I understood who he was
0: it 's almost I hard did, to like hate somebody that you don 't know yeah if that makes sense
1: I knew my father and he was still my father, and I could appreciate what he did bring to the family his family uh, I loved my father's side of the family, so oh. it wasn 't as if it was a, some total loss I, I never knew him he brought a lot to the party mm. he just wasn 't the main attraction
0: <laughs> yeah so.
1: Uh, So, my dad, we really didn't have a really good relationship. Now, because the boys in the family were the type that said, when I grew up, I tried to help my father, even though he was a drunk, I did whatever I could to help him whenever I could. I still maintained contact with him, Uh, I spoke with him, I was kind to him, Uh, I didn't hate him, I didn't chew him out or yell at him. He was still my father and I cared for him as best I could. Mm -hmm. Uh, in my relationship with him. My sisters, however, my oldest sister Arlene, could not deal with my father. She had a totally different view of him. I'm not sure in her life how her relationship developed, but she would not give an inch to my father for anything. She, She truly, I felt, hated him. Now, he might have earned it, I'm not saying she's wrong. Sure. I'm just saying her life and her relationship to my father, since she was older than me, mm-hmm. took place in a different time.
0: Yeah. Yes. You don't know and what happened before you came along. Exactly. So
1: I know that I was embarrassed by my father because he was an alcoholic and a drunk and embarrassed me in front of my friends. I can only wow. imagine what my sisters felt. Like. Yeah. So I can't speak for my sisters. I know that my oldest sister did not like my father at all. Now... I Like I said, I, I gave my father what I could. Mm-hmm. I maintained relationship with him and I know that I didn't hate him. I was a pallbearer at his funeral and I did what I could for my father. Uh, he lived his life. I came finally to the understanding that it was his life. He was punished in his life. He had six children and hardly had a relationship with any of them.
0: Wow. I figure
1: his punishment was him having to live the life he chose and being rejected and frowned upon by his family and embarrassed.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Damn.
1: Damn. So that was my dad and and, uh, that was him from the Hispanic side of the family. By that I meant they all spoke Spanish and not English. Yeah. Versus my mother's side which were more acclimated to being in California, United Mm -hmm. States and more... Uh, integrated into the community, the English community.
0: So your mom and her side of the family, when, do you know when they made the move from Mexico to California?
1: Oh no, it was probably in the 1700s, 1800s.
0: Wow, so they, yeah, because yeah, I know you said that they were here for a long time, but then your dad, when did his side 19, of the family? That was
1: 19, about 1917 I think, when my dad immigrated oh, wow. okay. to California. Yeah, and he came from uh, Mexico. His from family, Guadalajara? Uh, yes, from the Guadalajara area, gotcha. uh, a town called uh, Yahualica is La-huallica. the name of the town. Yahualica.
0: Yahualica. And it's
1: not too far from Guadalajara. And so that was my father's family, they emigrated from there. Not only his family, but also uh, I have relatives who emigrated to work in the ash mines, the uh, old potash mines in uh, near Death Valley. In China Lake, Trona, they emigrated about the same time, but they were cousins. So we have uh, a group of Ledesmas, my family, who live in the high desert around Ridgecrest and Trona, who settled there, working at the American Potash and Chemical Company. Wow. They mined the salt from the dry riverbed or the dry lakes. China Lake wow. is a dry lake.
0: That sounds interesting.
1: <clears throat> yeah, so they mined chemicals, basically. You remember the story? Okay, maybe
0: not interesting. Oh, ha- that, ha- that's probably really bad for you
1: <laughs> holy, being around that. Do you remember a term called- I'm
0: almost 23.
1: 20 mules. You remember a product called 20 mule team Borax? You remember products called Borax- No, Borax. Borax. <laughs> okay, and there used to be a, to be a, a TV show about 20 mule teams but because it took 20 mules to haul a wagon, and the place that those 20 mules went was to these dry lakes to haul chemicals, potash. So the, our history, the history of, of the high desert, uh, the 20 mule teams that pull those chemicals out of those dry lakes, okay, there's a history there. Just like you hear about the Pony Express, uh-huh. and you hear about the cavalry, right. those parts of our history in the United States. Well, the 20 mule teams were part of a history where they pull the chemicals out of those places. My family hmm. on, uh, on my side, my father's side, had, our descendants went there also, and today they're still there. And so there's a bunch of Ledesmas running around (laughs) in the high deserts up there who are part of my family, my extended cousins. And so at the same time around in the early 1900s, both of those factions of my family moved to California uh, together. Hmm. So my father's side settled in L.A. Uh, East Los Angeles, in that area, and my uh, uncle's side or cousin's side, they settled up in the high desert. So that was my heritage from Mexico, uh, from my father's side.
0: That's interesting. Now, Eric, your your son, he lived up in Ridgecrest for a long time, didn't he?
1: Yeah. A lot, Did he know.
0: ever, like, hang out with your distant your extended family?
1: Yeah, it, it's a small world, and that's another whole story for the telling. Uh, it just so happened... Then my son eric uh, joined the navy mm-hmm. and he became a submariner and uh, it was after college he decided to become a submarine
0: so, did you have any influence on that <clears throat> like did he want no. to do it because you're a veteran or anything like that, no, that was, he just found out on his own
1: that was his choice as far as i know no i never tried to influence on going in the military um uh so he wound up going in the navy becoming a submariner. The reason this is important is because he worked on nuclear submarines and was a nuclear engineer. So, because he worked on nuclear submarines, when he got out of the Navy he worked for companies like General Dynamics and he worked on secret submarine craft. And you know how that is. You know you work on yeah. new, submarines that have nuclear weapons and stuff on. Them. Well,
0: Justin works. My bro- my oldest brother. He works on secret stuff for the government because he uh-huh. majored <clears throat> in aerospace engineering yeah. and he's a genius. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, his his IQ is above the genius line. Oh, thank you. Because anyway. <laughs> well, he gets that from you.
1: <laughs> I hope so. And your mom, no doubt. Uh, so anyway, Eric um, got out of the navy. Start working on. Eventually, started working with. Uh, Government contractors working on submarines. So Eric wound up going to places like, uh, oh, uh, Virginia to work at. Well, I think what is it, Portsmouth or? I have no idea. I couldn't anyway, tell you. He goes to where the naval ships go, where the submarines go. Bremerton, Washington. Uh, and they go to... Um, like
0: Illinois.
1: Yeah, and Groton, Connecticut. So there's places where are submarine bases. Mm. Where the submarines come in, they go in dry dock, and then technicians go in and work on upgrading their systems, sure. whatever their systems are, and I can't talk about it because I don't know. <laughs> but anyway, my son, Eric, works on submarines. So because he works on submarines, he got assigned to the Naval Weapons Station working on testing of things that go on submarines. Anyway, the naval station that he went to Mm. is in Ridgecrest, California, in the high desert. Believe it or not, there's not a damn submarine within hundreds of miles of the (laughs) desert, up in the mountains, but they have test sites. And I think just not long ago, somebody died out there in a crash. The Navy pilots go there at the Naval Air Station.
0: Navy pilots?
1: Navy pilots go to Ridgecrest Naval but Air Station.
0: Navy is boats and stuff. Exactly. Well, I'm getting there, girl. Okay, okay. I'm ahead I'm of the game, apparently. Okay. Well,
1: the thing is, these Navy pilots, <laughs> they have to practice dropping bombs. So Jesus. guess where they go to drop bombs? To the, the desert. desert. <laughs> because there's hundreds and thousands of square miles where you see nothing but sagebrush and jackrabbits. So the Navy uses that area as a testing ground for munitions. It's Mm. a naval weapons station. So whenever they make up a new bomb or a new rocket or some other crazy military thing, and the Navy has to put it on an airplane and try to shoot it at something, where do they go to test these weapons? They go to the naval... Uh, weapons station in Ridgecrest, California. Now, my son Eric just happens to have a site near Ridgecrest in the desert, off where people can't see it, of course, because it's secret. (laughs) Duh. Duh, yeah. It's on the naval weapons uh, grounds. And he did some work there for a while, working in testing of naval weapons systems while he was there. That is how Eric got to where my family is, in the middle of nowhere, you know. Just I always
0: him. wondered that, yeah.
1: Now, when he went there, his name is Ledesma. And it just so happened that everybody around there knows who Ledesma's are. Like. <laughs> so, yes, he got to meet the other Ledesmas in the area of Ridgecrest, that. and now uh, while he was there, he is, he uh, spent time with them, and his own son, Noah, is still in Ridgecrest. And those sides of the family are once again united because Aww. they're in the same location.
0: That's it, cool. It, it I like was, that.
1: And it was all by serendipity.
0: Ah, <clears throat> What a great word. I love well, that's that that's not word. what stops. Okay, Okay. Let's continue. I didn't tell you to stop. Continue. That's not
1: stops. There was another member of the family who wound up going to Ridgecrest through serendipity who met... Our relatives there and didn't know they were there. Who? It was my wife, Gail. Really? Gail, Gail was working as a VP of, oh uh, my, she was, she was uh, what do you call it? Oh, HR? She, she was consulting. Oh. Okay. She was consulting and she'd get hired by different hospitals to come and consult and work in human resources. Okay. That was her. her, her uh, it
0: was HR. I was told you. <laughs> uh,
1: yeah, she's in human resources. So the hospital in Ridgecrest needed. Uh, uh, a director in human resources uh, because they had lost theirs or you know, they needed someone temporary. So she came in to consult to that hospital in Ridgecrest. And when she did so, she found out that as soon as she said her name, uh, my name, Ledesma, people said, Ledesma? <laughs> I said, hey, do you know Andy Ledesma? And she said, well, yeah, that's my husband's <laughs> cousin.
0: So, well, I so guess anyway, I
1: do. By serendipity, Gail from Missouri, we lived in Missouri at the time, all the oh, okay. way from Missouri got assigned to a job in Ridgecrest, California, where my relatives live out in the middle of nowhere in the desert.
0: So she went to California and left you back in Missouri? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> nice.
1: Well, it's a consulting business. When, yeah. when someone wants needs a consultant someplace, she sure. went to Washington. She Just for about,
0: like the weekend or week or whatever? Yeah, it was
1: for months. You know, oh, wow.
0: Yeah, mm. it was
1: a it was a consulting job. All
0: right all
1: right hey we we move we do things
0: it's true hey you move you yeah. do things i get it
1: uh there's another <laughs> thing about me that i found out over the years gail and i are adventurous people yeah we have lived in many many different places some people spend i their... must
0: get that from you because i know that i want to live in a lot of different places that could be true yeah uh, most people most that i know
1: that are older can talk about growing up in a place and living there most of their lives i could not i, I still have friends Mm-mm. who were born and raised in the los angeles area and they're still here they've They've traveled, maybe gone places, but they've never lived in other places. I've lived in many different states, many different situations, and yeah. done many different things. And it takes a little bit of hutzpah <laughs> to decide to uproot yourself, leave your jobs, go someplace else, start anew, or something different, and live a different life. I've lived, I've lived several different professions, in several different ways, in several different areas of the country, and been exposed to different cultures. And this is a part of... That's what's so beautiful about it, though. I know. That's why I can look back now. And uh, we've been talking about me having a terminal illness. Yeah. And these are the few years I have left in my life. But I can look back on my life and say, I've had a good life. I don't have that, any regrets. I've done so many things. That it's hard to even think. I, when I do stop and think about it, I say, I couldn't have done all that. But actually, I did. And Gail was with me. So she's a witness. I did these things.
0: Have you ever sat down and, like, made a list of all of the things that you've done? Uh,
1: not in that sense. I think I've talked about it before. When we would take long trips from uh, the San Francisco Bay Area down to L.A. to visit family, uh, we would talk about goals, mm. things we wanted to right. do. And we, we would always talk about a year, the year past, and five years forward. That's about the range of things we looked at. So we always looked at things, and I, like uh, we started talking one time about we need to get out of the rat race. You know, everybody says, oh, here, we feel like uh, yeah. the gerbils on the, on the, on the, <laughs> on the
0: hamster wheel on or the whatever. Wheel. Yeah. yeah,
1: we feel like we're on the hamster wheel. And after a while, when you're working in high tech and a lot of pressure, uh, you feel like, God, I just wish I could get out of this. I'm getting burned out.
0: Yeah, I okay. can't imagine that personally. So those are the personally. kind of discussions
1: we had. And those are some of the reasons why we discussed things. We worked out a plan on how we could get from where we were and get away from it and reestablish mm-hmm. ourselves in a different situation. So we actually did that. Yeah. Uh, so that's a part of our work together, is that we were not afraid to spend a little bit of time apart and move and change and develop.
0: Would you say that you, how, I don't know if you know off the top of your head, but how many places have you lived in your entire life?
1: Uh, I mean, different houses or cities, probably lived in, lived around Washington, uh, Nebraska, North Carolina, I mean, we didn't live in North Carolina, uh, Missouri. Uh, Colorado. Um, doo, 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 doo. You
0: lived in Montana at one point.
1: Montana, lived in You Montana. lived in
0: Minnesota. 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 I, I hear Lady Gail from the kitchen.
1: Yeah. Yeah, Minnesota too. Uh, now in the military I lived in yeah. Uh, you know, like I said, I was in the South yeah. Texas. In for I was in a while, Texas. Texas. Uh, so and I traveled around a lot and visited places. But we really had we lived in those different states, yeah.
0: Like eight ish. Yeah. Irish places, yeah, yeah. that's awesome yeah. though, and Pasadena, wait, did you already say LA? Because you grew I, up in, in Pasadena. Uh,
1: no, I grew up in Los Angeles, East Los Angeles, born in East Yeah, LA. Los
0: Angeles, so like yeah. nine, yeah, I was that's actually a lot born of places. In Boyle
1: Heights. Boyle,
0: Boyle Heights, hey, I know Boyle Heights. <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah, it's right down, just outside the LA River there, right close to uh, the LA downtown.
0: I love it, so you were born in Boyle Heights? Yeah,
1: least. on Savannah Street. Uh, right across the street from the church.
0: Oh, I got I I to visit that, like where that is sometime. Uh, that would be interesting. A
1: doctor from the White Memorial Hospital, actually, I think it's on, uh, oh, I forget what street it's on, maybe Brooklyn is on Brooklyn <laughs> Street, um, which is now, I think, Martin Luther King or Cesar Chavez. Oh, they changed it. Yeah, did it change it? Hmm. Uh, I don't so, know. Uh, yeah, I was uh, a, a doctor from the hospital who came out and certified my birth, uh, and I was born in home.
0: Oh, was, wow. Yeah. How was that? Well, I guess you don't remember, but...
1: <laughs> I do not remember. I,
0: like I said,
1: my, my earliest memories were about 1949. It's my earliest memory that I, I know what was happening.
0: What year were you born? Forty-five. Forty-five. So about when you were four years old? About when I was
1: four years old, okay. I had memories of things that happened that were significant. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: All right. Well, now I want to kind of change gears a touch. Um, still talking about like history, family, heritage, culture-ish. Um, what kind of stories were passed down through your family? Do you have any?
1: Uh, <clears throat> my father would drink. This is and an interesting
0: in my, way to start out a story.
1: That's a, a truth. I mean, you know, I had very few things in my family that I could, I could laugh about or joke about. This is one of them, you know. It's, everybody's got something like this, a crazy old uncle or whatever. But it was my dad. My dad would drink, and sometimes when my dad would drink, his tongue would get loose. Okay,
0: and
1: that's putting it mildly. So he'd start okay. yelling and screaming and singing, and he'd talk all about Pancho Villa. And the days on the ranch when and the uh, soldiers would come and Pancho Villa would ride and he would just go on and on about those, uh, uh, fantasizing about the the, the Mexican Revolution mm-hmm. and all of those things that were going on when he was a kid. Wow. Yeah. So he told stories, <laughs> drunken stories, by the way, <laughs> of uh, of knowing Pancho Villa, riding with Pancho Villa, or stuff like that, which was not really true, but he experienced growing up in a time during that revolution so that was his
0: uh, perspective on it yeah
1: so he, <laughs> would, he would go on about yelling about and uh, you know just drunken stuff yeah but it was it was, looking back on it now it was kind of hilarious but, <laughs> yeah. but you know this is one of the reasons I didn't hate my dad was because you he know he was entertaining you, someone like that? <laughs> you know he he had a, he had a he had an opportunity in life like all of us do sure he blew it
0: Mm. he blew it
1: he had six great kids he blew it you know he could have had much more in his life is with his family he blew it and this is why i feel bad for him because as a human being he suffered yeah he suffered he was not a happy man and i think that's why he took to the bottle he was not a happy man
0: that would make sense and it's sad
1: to see any one of your family members go through that it wasn't just my father there were other people in the family who had hard times sure. and who you had to you yeah. had to feel for and care about and uh, my brother mickey he almost went that route he was mm-hmm. he was arrested for dui and was drinking and getting crazy and and then one day he stopped yeah my brother mickey just stopped he went to aa <clears throat> quit drinking and straighten his life up. Just like that. Just
0: like that. Yeah.
1: Just like that. And I've never been so proud Damn. of anyone as I was of my brother. for Good being. for him. Yeah, because it was so sad to see. Yeah,
0: it's, it's really sad watching somebody yeah. go through, yeah. you know, So my brother alcoholic. turned out to
1: be a, a hero of sorts for me, you know. And especially when I found out one day that he had run the Boston Marathon. And I said, what? Damn. My brother ran the Boston Marathon? <laughs> and yeah, I think as a part of him cleaning himself up he took to running and
0: you know he... I think a lot of people who go through <clears throat> addictions and stuff end up doing like running or exercise or turning to that because it's like one a way to release endorphins into your system yeah. and also it's something yeah. else to keep your mind busy on something else um, which is I think a good outlet for a lot of people so it's not necessarily surprising but good for him absolutely yeah, he
1: did good he did good he even did things like went to Africa Yeah, I think he ran a marathon there. Just because? Just
0: because he wanted to. I
1: I, I might have been because of a religious uh, uh, missionary kind of thing. Maybe. Okay. Um, Many of our family members, especially on my father's side, very religious, Mm. very very Catholic.
0: Is that part of the reason why you think you're not religious today? Is because you were kind (coughs) of raised around so much of it, or? No,
1: no, no, no. Uh, I never uh, looked badly on my family uh, for being Catholic or Christian. Uh, Part of that was they made sure I went to a Catholic school. I got a good education. Uh, I learned about the Bible and all of the things that that other Catholics learned about. And I was able to take that information and those values, by Mm the way, and use those in my life. Um, For instance, I can uh, help someone out and be a good person. Because I think that's the right thing to do. Or I could help a person and say, I did it because Jesus told me or God told me. I'm the kind of person that says I did it because it's the right thing to do.
0: Ditto. And <laughs> so
1: it's a, for me, it's about values yeah. and what I was taught as a Catholic. To love your neighbor, mm-hmm. you know, not to lie. Uh, all of the things that we learn as kids, the Ten Commandments, the Two Great Commandments, and, the, and the, all of that. All of that, to me, what stuck was Jesus was a kind person. He cared about others, and he taught people to love, not to hate. And that was yeah. the key to Christianity for me, be a good person. And, it, and I always thought on my tombstone, I, all I ever wanted was to say, here lies a good man. Because that's what I was taught.
0: Oh, I love that. So
1: a lot of people yeah. say, oh, I did it because God. I don't do that. I did it because it's the right thing to do.
0: I definitely empathize with that. I think that's a lot of what I took out of being raised so strictly Mm -hmm. Catholic because I would go with my mom to, uh, not school, to church every Sunday. Mm -hmm. And um, then I would go off into like the... Sunday class that they send all the kids off to and they're talking about I think the gospel or I don't know It's been so long since I've been to church and I'm not religious to this day, but um, I Those are kind of the same values that mm-hmm. I took from all of those different classes that you know Just was a he was a good guy. He was really nice all the time very generous um, mm-hmm. Never really got angry or anything like that Um, except for, I think there was like one time in the Bible, but anyway, um, the money changers, (laughs) something like that. Um, but yeah, I, I, I definitely agree. And that's kind of how I live my life. And I'm glad that, you know, I had some of those lessons taught to me, um, because I think it did shape me. to be a good person, but there are also a lot of not so amazing things about, you know, the Catholic religion, but um, I am grateful for those specific types of, you know, things that it taught me.
1: I always look at it this way, as far as the religion goes. The actual church and their teachings are good. Mm. Uh, Unfortunately, like earlier I was talking about human beings being what they are, human beings turn things around to suit their own narrative. So, the Bible might say one thing, but a minister someplace would interpret it in the way they want to. Yeah. And so they do things that, just like the Catholics and the Protestants in Ireland, <laughs> they were willing to kill each other even though claiming both to yeah. honor the ways of Christ. Right. Now, common sense tells you that makes no sense.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, it, it doesn't make any sense. How they can kill each other and still claim to be followers of Christianity And the reasons they killed each other were totally crazy. Okay, so this exists all over. Like I said, it's not just Catholics or or Protestants. It's everybody. Mm -hmm. So you get any group together, and somebody will decide they're better or different than others, and then set off on a campaign or a crusade to make them right. And it happens all the time. There's a lot of people who spend so much energy angry and persecuting gay people. To what end? You know, I would look at a person persecuting gay people and say, Well, what does it get you? Uh, What are they doing? Are they attacking your family? You know, why are you attacking them?
0: Like they're just living life. They're just living life.
1: There's that kind of stuff going on where people have a belief that is so ingrained in them that gets them so angry that they're willing to attack other people, you know, and punish other people uh, for something that is different than them that they have no right or reason to do it. That only their own anger and fear generates this animosity toward other people who are just as good,
0: mm-hmm. have just the
1: same good values, who would lend you a hand if you needed it.
0: Absolutely. You know,
1: who would love you if you gave them a chance. Yeah. So that's just the way we are. Yeah, I yeah. think you just have to be aware of it. And I've said this several times on the show. You don't judge a person by what they say. You judge them by what they do. Yeah. If they treat you kind, they're a kind person. Mm-hmm. If they talk to you about being kind and then treat someone cruelly, they're a cruel person. Mm-hmm. You know, I know the difference. Don't yeah. tell me you're kind and then go be mean to this person over here. Yeah. That's not kindness. Uh-huh. You know, so uh, that's called hypocrisy. Mm. It's, uh, you know the old saying, if yep. you live in a glass house, don't throw stones. And unfortunately, a lot of the people that are throwing stones have just as much sin or evil in their souls as everyone else.
0: So Mm -hmm.
1: we're all in the boat together.
0: True, true. And if you
1: really want to love your neighbor, then next time you look at a neighbor, smile. (laughs) Regardless of you. Yes,
0: I agree. I think think people should smile at each other more in public. I I feel like there's this, I don't know what it is, but... There's just this societal view that like, oh, we can't look at each other while we're walking down the street. It's like, oh, look at your, look at, <laughs> I don't know. I'm a very friendly, like, I don't know, nice person. At least I'd like to think so. Um, and I tend to try to, Julian is behind the camera shaking his head no. Um, and I tend to try to just like, you know, give a quick glance and a quick smile, no. like nothing past that. It's just like, you're just friendly and nice to people. Oh, no,
1: you can't Whatever. do all the time though.
0: Not all the time, no. yeah. People yeah. will
1: look at you like you're
0: weird. Oh, I don't care. Okay. I'm weird, and I know it. <laughs> but anywho, um, I do want to ask one more fun question. What? Right. What? Uh, no, it's a genuine fun question. Right. What recipes were passed down through your family?
1: Recipes? Yeah,
0: because uh, you love to cook. Uh, yeah. The first so let's kind of end on that question.
1: Okay, I got three things that come to mind. Yes. Uh, my brother Mickey taught me how to cook potatoes. The way okay. he, he likes. There's a, there's a thousand ways to cook potatoes. Of course. Anybody who likes potatoes and who's a cook understands that there's a thousand ways to cook potatoes. Um, My brother, so Mickey many. taught me a way that I love, and I'll never forget it. And I always cook potatoes that way when I get a chance. Not always, but I do because I like them that way. So, so how do you cook potatoes. them? <clears throat> okay. <laughs> All right. Well, Give us, me, us the
0: spark notes. Okay. Uh, Okay,
1: potatoes can be cooked fast, they can be cooked slow. If you cook them under high heat, they turn brown, like french fries. You cook them under high heat and the skins get brown. Now, when the skin gets brown, the flavor changes.
0: Mm -hmm. So, so the
1: brownness on the potatoes controls the depth of the flavor of of, uh, fried potatoes. Now, if you cook the potatoes slow and you cook them with a cover and they have a tendency to steam or braise, they don't get brown, they stay white, but they get soft. Then hmm. the flavor then comes from the uh, pepper and the salt that you use on the potatoes. My brother mm. used heavy, heavy pepper, <laughs> and he gave them a fight. Mm. And that bite of pepper with the right amount of salt and the potatoes cooked, and they're diced potatoes, diced about a half inch, okay, about that big dice of potatoes. So they're diced potatoes, salt, pepper, That's it.
0: Have I had these potatoes? Pardon me? Have I had these potatoes? I don't know. I don't know if I have. I usually cook them for breakfast. I don't know if I have. I'll cook them for you. You gotta gotta cook them for me.
1: Okay. That's one. Now the other two things uh, that I can cook, that I learned to cook and I cook all the time, (laughs) are rice and beans. One thing very Hispanic about me is that I grew up in a house where almost every day we had rice and we had beans because rice and beans together made up a full protein. And we bought rice and beans by the sack. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, and back in then, even people, uh, you probably heard of flour sacks, or dresses made out of flour sacks. Mm-hmm. You ever hear people talk about flour sacks? Yeah. Okay, and flour sacks were used around the house because flour came in a sack, but you didn't mm-hmm. want to throw this cotton sack away. It right. was cloth. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, families back then used the flour sack to make garments and other things out of after they were used to empty the flour out. You're that makes
0: flat. sense. I would do that. Okay. So, Reduce, reuse, recycle.
1: Flower sacks, but now flower sacks mm-hmm. weren't a part of a rich wealthy culture. No. They were a part of the lower class culture.
0: Yeah, you know, which is dumb,
1: but... Yeah, if you had to make clothes out of flower <laughs> sacks or other household items, out of flour sacks, it was a dead giveaway that your family was poor, okay. Anyway, so we had rice I and beans. I look
0: at it as environmentalists.
1: Yeah, we were early environment. <laughs> and we had, we had brown paper sacks too for everything.
0: Yeah. Okay,
1: so rice and beans. Uh, I had to learn to cook rice, uh, so I called my mom on the phone, and I was old enough to do that, to ask her the recipe for uh, Spanish rice. Mm-hmm. So my mom got on the phone and I said, Mom. How much, uh, how do you cook rice? What do I do? Oh, I don't know, you just put some rice in the pan and fry it. Mom, how much? <laughs> I don't know. And she says, well, cup. I said, okay, well, How much, how much salt? I don't know. I just put salt. I said, Mom, how much, how much onions? You said, onions. I don't know, I just cut some onions up and put them in. So, okay, so it was such a struggle to get the recipe out of my mother for rice.
0: That's she hilarious. made it every damn day,
1: <laughs> and she couldn't give me the recipe. And so so I didn't realize at the time, because then I was a cook who cooked from the recipe.
0: Right. And I didn't have
1: a recipe, I couldn't do a damn thing, because I had to have a recipe to cook something. My mother cooked by rote. She cooked it so many <laughs> times, she didn't think about it. She didn't blink an eye. Yeah, she it was just
0: secondhand. She was yeah. in here, threw that in
1: there, and it came out the same every damn time.
0: Really? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, if she cooked it every day, that makes yeah. sense. And, yeah.
1: and, and the beans were the same. My mother made beans every... And she couldn't tell you how she made them. Now, you can write it down anyway. Right. She could try to describe it to you, <laughs> but she couldn't give you amount. Now, in my, in my cooking now, I actually go through the trouble of when I decide to cook something, I'll get ingredients together, and I will actually measure the amount that I put in mm. by... Putting in my hand first and then measuring what I put in my hand, or by getting uh, uh, four cups of water and pouring water till it's done and then looking how much I have left so I know how much I put in. Mm-hmm. So I began to write recipes down using measurements that other people could follow. So I went from reading recipes to writing recipes.
0: You should have your own cookbook.
1: Yes, it's totally, <laughs> totally different. Writing a recipe is different yeah. than learning how to cook something. Okay, mm-hmm. oh, it is. It might seem yeah. the same, but it's not. Yeah, no, definitely. So, so, the, the rice and the beans, I had to learn. The thing that I never really learned that I tried that I didn't master and I didn't understand till now, until uh, I found out about baking and dough. My mother was the one person in our whole family, both sides, was famous for one thing tortillas. My mother, every day, like we have bread, you have a lot of, I didn't have bread when I was a kid really much, uh, so much as I had tortillas every day. Ooh. Okay, so we had tortillas. The story of the tortillas is this. We were poor. My mom, for supper, would go down to the store, and she'd buy a two-pound sack of flour. Okay. Two-pound sack of flour. She'd bring it home and throw it on the counter and make a hole in the middle. And then she'd start putting her ingredients in. The lard, the salt, the baking powder. Okay? And those were the ingredients. Water. Okay? And then she started mixing it. And then she'd get it to a certain and pouring water in. it; It's just like people who make pasta Mm and do the same thing. My mother did that. Then she got it, started moving it into a dough, and started kneading it, and kneading it, and kneading it. And then pretty soon, the little dough ball glistened. Just the right shape. (laughs) It really, it just glistened, you know. It just, you could see it.
0: It was perfect. It was just perfect. Mm -hmm. And then
1: she started squeezing out little balls. Every damn ball was the same size. Okay, she did that over like and clockwork. over, and then she did the whole thing. And all the balls were lined up. She covered them, and then she started forming the balls. Okay, and then she got her little rolling pin and started rolling them, and they came out round. I mean round, not yeah. but round. <laughs> My mom made them all the same, the same exact size. And then she had the, the iron skillet, uh, the komat on the stove, just the right temperature. And she had that skillet on there, and she'd be rolling, then she'd get it, she'd put it on the skillet, and then she'd get another one to start rolling. And then she while she was rolling, she'd be turning the one on the skillet, okay, and she'd keep rolling, and then she'd take the one-off skillet when it was done and put it in the stack, and then she'd put the next one on. It was like an assembly. She had
0: loop, a system.
1: Like an assembly. Loop. And she never blinked, she never, she'd pull those things off that hot griddle, and like never missed one. And it, I counted, you know. I would go over there and watch her. And <laughs> I counted. <laughs> I counted the number of seconds that she'd left the, the, the tortilla on the griddle until she turned it. It, it went three times. Hmm. Okay. Anyway, so my mom made the tortillas. Now, the thing about a tortilla is that if you've ever eaten a tortilla, you understand. Uh, because in my family, the tortilla was used like a, a fork or a spoon. Sure. Yeah. You yeah. use a tortilla and you cut a piece off and you used it to mm-hmm. grab your food with. You ate yeah. with your hands, okay? Yeah. In order that's to where do I get that, it from. <laughs> the tortilla had to be flexible, it had to be flexible and also not get soggy yeah. if you put it in a liquid. Yeah. It had to be perfect consistency, mm-hmm. and that's the brilliance of what my mother did.
0: Yeah. Love Those a good tortilla.
1: tortillas were perfect. They were perfect in all the ways it took to eat something and enjoy it. So that was my mom. She made perfect tortillas. They were never uh, <laughs> hard or brittle or cracked or flake, nothing. They were just perfect. And you could eat with them, and it just they made your food so much better because they were perfection. Yeah. So that's what I remember my mom for. I tried making tortillas. Uh, <clears throat> I got pretty good, but... I could never... They just weren't the same. I, yeah, I got to a point where I looked at the time, invested in actually doing that in this modern age, and I found brands of tortillas at the store that were good <laughs> enough that I didn't have to. So I buy the particular brands for their flexibility and their ease of heating. And, and uh, I usually heat them over an open fire mm. uh, because it doesn't yeah. No, out that's what I do it's too. ...it's more trouble. But anyway, yeah. uh, that's the one thing I wish I had a... a as a young person, learned to do, that I never really mastered. And that all comes with baking. The baking skills I uh, learned in kneading, and uh, letting bread rise, and all of those things involved with baking, those were some of the same skills my mother used in in her dough making. And anyone who makes dough around the world knows those things. They understand gluten and how it works when you work it. So my mother, because she did it every day, she was a female in her family, grew up making tortillas for the family. So by the time she made tortillas for me, she was like, she could do it blindfolded. Yeah. She would just <laughs> pump them out like nothing. And everybody loved my mother for that and they would always say, I want some of her tortillas. Oh,
0: I wish I had some of her tortillas. And, and I about nothing. Nothing <laughs> no? No, no, yeah.
1: Now I've also talked about my mother and other things in cooking. She couldn't cook worth a damn. <laughs> I'm serious. I mean, the things that she cooked that were staples. I, I, when you understand, when you get older and you look at cultures, you, you look at a culture and you say, what do they eat every day? Mm-hmm. You know, like uh, people eat rice every day in yeah. a, a lot of places. People eat pasta every day mm-hmm. in places of the world. Uh, people eat fish every day in places of the world. You take a look at the things they eat every day yep. and they cook every day and they cook those to perfection. Mm-hmm. Because it's a part of their life and their yeah. existence, their daily existence. Something you do So it's got to be good. And you have to <laughs> eat it every day. You do your damnedest at making sure it tastes good.
0: Absolutely. You know,
1: instead of junk food. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, some people, they don't know how to cook. Right. They don't want to cook. Cooking can be a joy or it could be slavery. It depends on your attitude. Yeah. Yeah. And there's been movies about it. But food made <laughs> without love is really Cheerios.
0: That's one way to put it but there's nothing better than a fresh tortilla oh mm-hmm. so good yeah if you ever oh. have the opportunity
1: to go to one of these restaurants where they have a little lady there making fresh corn tortillas you better get some
0: oh absolutely all right so i guess we'll end this episode with talking about how you're feeling and give an update on your health um so give oh, us a run i know i noticed you uh you took your oxygen right before um all right, take it again right now. yeah
1: good news um uh, Last month, uh, my doctor asked me, uh, because I was coughing a lot, and it was getting really bad. Uh, uh, I talked to my doctor about it, and she said, well, perhaps if you try some of the steroids, that it could have side effects, but it could also make you cough less. And so last month, I started on uh, some steroids. I'm, hey. well, oxygen's good, by the way. Hey, last month, I started on taking some steroid pills. And uh, this month, uh, now that I'm looking back, my coughing has uh, gotten better.
0: I noticed that, yeah. yeah.
1: So my coughing has gotten better. I still cough, but before it was, it was getting to be miserable. Yeah. Uh, and my coughing has improved. Now, a couple of weeks ago I thought, well, maybe it's improved. But I said, nah, not enough time yet. You know, you can't be too quick on your body changing. So it's been about a month now, and I'm looking back and saying, okay, I'm, I am feeling like I'm coughing less. So it could be attributed to those pills, Maybe not, but it looks like a positive sign that I've noticed some change. Gail has noticed some change. That's yeah. good. Yeah. So, uh, <clears throat> am I still sick? Yeah. I still have that oxygen? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> am I coughing as much? Not so much. So I'm though. feeling good about that. Even though the coughing wasn't painful, it was definitely a nuisance.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I'm
1: still uh, I'm still hoarse most of the time. I've got some stuff in my you know, phlegm in my throat and all, but it's not as bad as it was. Mm-hmm. So I'm glad for that. So that's good news. Um, the bad news is, um, ever so slightly, uh, my oxygen level is dipping lower when I get up to any activity.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, it, only in the once in the last month it's gotten in the 60s, uh, and then I just had to get oxygen right away.
0: Is that the lowest it's been?
1: Uh, yeah, the 60s is the lowest I've been, but that's not good. Yeah. Uh, at, yeah. At, uh, regular is 89 to 100 is normal. Uh, in the 80s is not good, in the 70s definitely not good, in the 60s, stop what you're doing and get some oxygen. So, yeah. Anyway, I, I've noticed that I don't have as much uh, stamina, not stamina, I don't have,
0: yeah.
1: I can't do as, <laughs> I
0: can't do as I much just before. just my grandma in the background <clears throat> saying, yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: She's eavesdropping back there. <laughs> Get back in the kitchen, woman.
0: Hey. <laughs> no, we don't tolerate that here. Uh-uh. <laughs> no. Bad grandpa.
1: This is her week. I'm cooking. <laughs> she's cooking this week. We alternate weeks. I cooked last week. This week is her week to cook. So I'm here having fun. And she's in this kitchen slaving away.
0: Oh, I'm having fun. She's well, having she's, fun, she says. She's faking it. You know. fun. She says she is having fun. <laughs> i it alrighty I and how's your before. how's your mental health
1: <laughs> I'll do it pretty I can still laugh yeah uh, I can still laugh so my mental health is okay
0: oh that's the other thing uh, you you started antidepressants right <clears throat> yeah like that. that's the other thing <clears throat> I
1: started on antidepressants and um, I didn't think I needed them but Gail says oh I'm getting them to be Mr. Crotchety so you know I've been uh, uh, losing my temper uh, barking or whatever I do when I get upset so she last month we talked to the doctor and the doctor prescribed some uh, antidepressant so I said okay alright I'll take the antidepressant so um, am I in a decent mood yeah pretty much do I still uh, yell and, and accuse her of terrible things Yeah. <laughs> but it's, nobody's perfect I, I don't yell you know, as bad as it was last month
0: she says no very she says no no she said no no he's taking a very low amount so he
1: needs to up it oh he says but i do need to up it
0: yeah yeah she's ditto's been here like the whole time people who are just listening you are missing out you got to tune into the youtube version of this that has the video because this cat has been here like the whole time (laughs) oh it's beautiful well anyway on that note what is what is leave our your friends family and fans with one thing that would always be said in your house growing up welcome welcome bienvenidos (laughs) <laughs> all right and on that note this has been the unedited unfiltered pure and real take i think like actually this time i don't think i have to like cut this at all oh. um but from the perspective of captain ron ledesma you have been watching according to captain ron's record i am calem Ricoates signing off
1: granddaughter <laughs> grandfather you can tell us apart.
0: And say your say goodbye to your friends family and fans oh hey
1: goodbye everyone i'll be here next time
0: yeah what's Join your name us. what's your name
1: captain ron On the pirate ship, piñata.
0: Piñata. We're all signing out. See you in a couple weeks. Bye.